knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Tonight we are going to celebrate Good Friday together by taking some time just to really focus on what Jesus suffered for us. Uh, And after we do that, we're going to take some communion together just to remember and uh, reflect upon that. And, you know, on the night right before all these events that we're going to be looking at tonight, Jesus meets in an upper room with his disciples, and he was doing that ultimately to take Passover with them, something that the Jews would celebrate every year. They would eat different things and they would drink different things, but all the things that they ate and all the things that they drank had specific meanings and it was pointing them back to what God did to deliver them from their slavery in Egypt. And now on this night, as Jesus and his disciples are coming to partake of Passover together, it's a brings a new element to it. The disciples would be thinking that, you know, Jesus was just going to remind them of what they did every year, remembering what Jesus did, remembering the sacrifice, uh, or not Jesus, remembering uh, what God did to deliver them from Egypt. And now Jesus says, you know what, there's something new that I want to bring to you, something new I want you to understand about this. And we see that in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. And Jesus said, He took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So instead of taking the bread and taking the wine and and sharing the typical things that would be shared, pointing back to deliverance from Egypt, Jesus says, you know what? These have now a new symbol. These now have a new meaning. These are now going to uh, be remembered for something I'm about to do because this bread is going to be remembered and significant and symbolize my body, which is going to be crucified. This wine is my blood, which is going to be shed. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And that's something from that point all the way to now that followers of Jesus have been doing, are commanded to do, that we remember this sacrifice. And tonight is Good Friday. And we take time to remember what Jesus went through for us. But I find that sometimes is even when we take communion, we kind of look to the cross. And that's a great place to look. But sometimes that's the only place we look when we think of Jesus' suffering. We think of Jesus' sacrifice. And I want us to note tonight that there's actually more than just what happened on the cross that Jesus suffered willingly for us. And I want us to, to look at really starting in the Garden of Gethsemane, moving all the way to the cross tonight, looking at what Jesus willingly went through, suffered through for you and I. And we're actually going to look at 11 different things. And, and as we look at these things, actually, I'm going to show a few clips 
from the Passion of the Christ. And, and the purpose of these clips is some of the things that you try to express in words, it's just kind of hard to really picture it, kind of hard to understand what Jesus must have gone through with that. And I think that this movie does a really good job of, of giving that visual to us to hopefully help us just understand a little more what Jesus suffered for you and I. And so as we go through this, my hope is that you know we really just get a deeper grasp of what we're remembering tonight. And I know that for most of you, this isn't new information, but I hope as we go through it and look at you know all these things that Jesus went through, that as we come to communion, we just come with a more full, deep sense of what we're remembering, what Jesus did for us, and just come with great gratitude to these this time of communion and a time of worship to the Lord for what He's done for us. And so since really the, the word of God says kind of these major things that Jesus suffered started in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's where we're going to start tonight. And we're just going to move chronologically through what he went through all the way to the cross. And so we start in Luke chapter 22 in the Garden of Gethsemane, verse 41 says this, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly than, he, than his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Something I think is important to recognize is that Jesus was fully aware of what he was going to go through. He was fully aware of what he was going to have happen to him. He knew how horrible it would be. And there in that garden, he prays this prayer, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He knows it's coming. It's not like, oh, I'm looking forward to dealing with this and going through this. He realizes if there's any other way for me to redeem mankind, any other way for me to do this, let's do that. But not my will, but yours be done. You know, I think it's important not only that Jesus knew what was coming, but we need to remember he also had the complete power to stop what was coming. And we think like sometimes he's this helpless victim going to the cross and that if he had the power, he would have stopped it. No, he had the power to stop it at any moment he chose. He willingly did all that we're going to look at tonight. And the thing that I really want to bring home as we look at each one of these things is why? Why would he willingly go through all of this suffering? Why would he willingly go through all these horrible things that he chooses to go through, that he allows himself to suffer? And it's because he knew something. Even as he prayed this prayer, if there's any other way, ultimately, he knows there isn't any other way. There's only one way to redeem mankind, only one way for them to be saved, and that is for me to suffer, for me to sacrifice myself on the cross. Jesus knew this was the only way to save us, and because he loved us so much, he was willing to go through all this suffering, all the agony that he deals with. But you know, that knowledge, I want you to imagine that. You know, you know the story of what's going to happen. If you knew that that was about to happen to you, you're praying and you know that this is coming in a matter of hours. Imagine the stress that you would be under with that knowledge. Imagine the agony that you would be under with that knowledge. 
And we know that Jesus must have had this type of agony and stress upon him because we're told something physically happens to him as he is praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Something that you don't typically hear happening to people. We're told that he sweats great drops of blood. Now, this is very significant because it reveals how much stress, how much agony Jesus must have been under as he's praying this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because what happens to Jesus here is a medical condition called hematidrosis, or more commonly known as blood sweat. And it happens when the capillary blood vessels that sweet, that feed the, the sweat glands rupture, causing them to release blood instead of sweat. And this only happens when someone is under an extreme amount of stress and agony, and this will actually happen to you. And so this is what's taking place with Jesus. He's under such emotional agony and stress with this knowledge of what's about to come that he is literally sweating blood. So the first thing Jesus suffered for us is he sweat drops of blood showing the extreme emotional agony and stress he was under. So this is where it starts. It starts in this prayer. It starts in this recognition of what's coming. It starts with this stress and this agony. But there's many other things that didn't happen in that garden that caused Jesus to suffer. Notice what takes place in verses 47 and 48. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? We know the story of Judas, but I want you to picture this. Judas was with Jesus for three years. And on this night, Judas betrays Jesus. And notice what he uses. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. And I think that's just so uh, significant to point out because, you know, this makes it so much worse because a kiss was a sign of friendship. And uh, Judas uses it to betray Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. Right before this, as they're taking this Passover meal together, Jesus tells the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. He even gets more specific. The one that I dip this bread into and give to uh, is going to betray me. And he gives it to Judas. You know, the rest of the disciples didn't get it because they weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. But Jesus was clear. He was showing, Judas is going to do this. I know it. But yet, I don't think that would have changed the emotional you know, hurt that would come. By being betrayed. You might know it's coming. You might know this person's going to do it. But when he actually comes and he kisses you on the cheek and then Jesus responds to him, Judas, you betray the Son of Man with a kiss. How hurtful that would be. Like an emotional dagger through the heart. A man that you spend three years with, sees your miracles, listens to your teachings, betrays you for 30 pieces of silver. So the second thing that Jesus suffered for us is he was betrayed by someone he loved and was close to. Well, after Judas betrays Jesus and Jesus is arrested, we see something that the rest of the disciples do that would be another thing that would cause Jesus suffering. Matthew 26, 56 says, Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Not most of them, not some of them. All the disciples at this time in the garden, as Jesus is getting arrested, start to fear for their life, fear for what might happen to them. And instead of staying with Jesus, 
They decide to look out for themselves and they run from these soldiers to get away and protect themselves. So Jesus wasn't just betrayed by one of his disciples. Now in his moment of need, when he's arrested, those that he'd been with for three years, those who even said they would fight for him, they would die for him, are running and abandoning him. So the third thing that Jesus suffered for us is he was abandoned by those closest to him. So when things start to get bad, that's what these disciples choose to do. But Peter, he comes back. He runs away, but he he comes back and he starts following Jesus from a distance. And Peter's going to do something that's going to cause Jesus suffer the fourth thing that he would have suffered. Luke 22, verse 59. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. Immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. We're all aware that Peter denies Jesus three times. But what I want you to note is that as Peter chooses to do this and he denies him once and he denies him twice, this third time that he denies him, where we're told that he's so close to Jesus that Jesus is able to turn and look at Peter and Peter is able to look at Jesus' face. And so often we, we, at this point in the story, look at how Peter must have felt. At that moment when he finally realizes that he did the thing that he said he would never do. I would never deny you. I would lay down my life for you. And now he denies Jesus three times and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And we so often look at the the Peter situation and, and what he would have felt. But what about Jesus? As he's looking at this man who was a part of the inner circle Peter, James, and John got to see things about Jesus and experience things with Jesus that the other disciples didn't. They were so close to one another. And yeah, just like with Judas, Jesus knew Peter was going to do this. Jesus told Peter he was going to do this. But yet, to watch it, to watch that person you love, and you can see them denying you when you're right there just staring at them. Once again, the emotional hurt that must have been For Jesus to experience that. The man he loved very much denying him. So the fourth thing Jesus suffered for us is he was denied by one of his closest disciples. These first four things that we see here, you know, they would just bring a lot of emotional pain. And you know what? Oftentimes emotional pain is even worse than physical pain. For many, having the emotional pain of having their heart broken or because of being betrayed or being abandoned is much worse than having a physical heart attack. There are emotional pains that are just deep and hurtful. And Jesus suffered many of those. But he also suffered severe physical pain. After Jesus is arrested, he goes through several illegal trials And during these illegal trials, they do things to Jesus that not only would cause more emotional pain, but now a lot of physical pain as well. Luke 22, verse 63 says this, Now the men who held Jesus mocked Him and beat Him. And having blindfolded Him, they struck Him on the face and and asked Him, 
saying, Prophesy, who is the one who struck you? And many other things they blasphemously spoke against him. Matthew 26, 67. Then they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? So here we have two horrible things that happen to Jesus as he's going through these illegal trials. First, the men who are the soldiers there who are guarding Jesus, they're mocking him and they think, we got a great game. Let's blindfold Jesus and let's ask him, who's going to punch you next? And then they punch Jesus in the face and then they laugh and have a little more fun. And and then they ask him again, now who's going to punch you? And they, they keep this going. Now, it's interesting that Jesus is blindfolded because when someone punches you and you can't see a punch coming, it is far worse. That's why actually in the sport of boxing, if someone's eye is swollen shut, they automatically will call the fight because if you can't see the punch coming, you can't roll with the punch and it's far worse. So if you're blindfolded and you don't know when you're going to get hit, it would be far worse on Jesus. And so they're doing this to him. The second thing they did to Jesus was they spit in his face, and they slapped him, and they beat him. And notice Matthew says, they spit in his face. I think this is interesting. Most commentators believe that when Matthew speaks of the they, he's speaking of all those present at this illegal trial, all these religious leaders who desire Jesus's death. And many commentators believe that that was most likely over a hundred men who would have been included in this. And so if the they is including all of them, then literally they're coming one by one, spitting in Jesus's face. And here's a clip that I think depicts this quite well. Now, in that culture, and even similar to our own, spitting in someone's face was considered to be the strongest thing that you could do to show utter disgust, dislike, and hatred for someone. Spitting in their face was meant to humiliate, demean, debase, and shame that person. And that is what perhaps many did to Jesus. So the fifth thing that Jesus suffered for us is he was mocked, His face was spit upon and badly beaten. After Jesus had this beating, his face was most likely quite swollen, probably had broken bones. And you know, I think it's very interesting that these soldiers ask this question thinking they're mocking Jesus. Oh, you're the Messiah. Well, fine. Prophesy. Who will strike you next? The reality was Jesus could have told them exactly who would strike them next. He could have told them everything about their life. He could have stopped them. He could have struck them down dead. But he willingly allowed himself to go through this because of his love for you and his love for me. Now, something sometimes we don't often think about is these illegal trials, they go on all night long, and then in the morning he has more, And so Jesus doesn't get any sleep at all in this evening where he is beaten, he is mocked, he's betrayed, he's denied. 
And you know what? When you go a night without sleep, it makes any physical or emotional or spiritual suffering that much more difficult and harder to deal with. You know, we see this all the time with little kids. They don't get enough sleep, and the littlest thing just sets them off. They'll just, you know, lose it, when typically that wouldn't really be an issue at all if they had a good long sleep or a nice long nap. It's like when they are not having the sleep they need, everybody realizes real quick, yeah, they need some sleep because they can't handle things like they could when they sleep. But you know what? When we grow up as adults, we're, we're similar to that. You know, we lack sleep. We don't handle things at work as well. We don't handle things with life as well. When you're tired, everything becomes more difficult to cope with. And so the sixth thing that Jesus suffered for us is He was deprived of sleep, which intensified His suffering. Well, once these illegal trials are finished, Jesus is brought before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate then commands two horrible things to be done to Jesus. Matthew 27, 26 says, Then Pilate released Barabbas to them, and when they had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So here Pilate does two things. He has Jesus scourged, and then ultimately has Jesus crucified. The Roman custom of scourging was a brutal whipping. The victim of a Roman scourging was chained against a post, and then he was struck with a whip. But this was a, a very special whip, one that was designed to cause a massive amount of damage, not just like the Indiana Jones type of whip. This whip was made with many leather cords, and within those cords there was pieces of rock and metal and glass, things that would purposely grab hold of the flesh that it hit so it would rip it off your body. It was meant to just do horrible damage to you. And I want to show a brief clip, and this one's probably the, the one that's the hardest to watch of the clips from the Passion, but I think, you know, you hear this, I share this, and you're like, you know, what did Jesus really suffer? And we're not going to watch it all. It actually gets more brutal than what I'm going to show, but I think it gives a good grasp of what he was hit with and what he dealt with. Prova i stud. Quale? Dimmi so parlo. Gusta! Gusta! Quit facci! Schifo e mento la magna! goes on to show even more graphic effects of what the horrible scourging would do. As you were whipped, the bits of glass, the rock, the metal that grabbed hold of your flesh, 
tore it off as the whip was pulled back. Most of the skin on your back would be ripped off. Muscles, tissue, ligaments, bones would have all been exposed. And many people died from this scourging because they lost so much blood and it killed them. So this was the seventh thing Jesus suffered for us. He was brutally scourged. Once again, Jesus could have stopped this. He could have stopped all these guys who were doing this, but He didn't because He loves us so much. He was willing to suffer that. Well, after Jesus suffered this brutal scourging, the Roman soldiers decided to mock them, Him just like the Jewish soldiers. Verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around Him. And they stripped Him and put a scarlet robe on Him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on His head and a reed in His hand. And they bowed the knee before Him and mocked Him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on Him and took the reed and struck Him on the head. And when they had mocked Him, they took the robe off Him and put His own clothes on Him and led Him away to be crucified. So after this brutal scourging, these Roman soldiers, they bring Jesus in front of the whole garrison of soldiers in order to mock Him. And the way that they mock Him is they rip off His clothes and they put this scarlet robe on Him and they twist this crown of thorns and put it on His head and they put a reed in His hand. And then they kneel down, pretending Him to be king, mocking Him. Here's a picture of what the crown of thorns would have looked like. Imagine having that jammed into your head. I'm sure most of us have grabbed a rose, pricked our finger on a thorn, just felt the pain that it would be in our finger. Imagine the pain of having that struck into your head with a stick. Here's another clip that depicts this well. So the eighth thing that Jesus suffered for us is He was mocked, spit upon, and He had a crown of thorns beaten into His head. These soldiers are mocking Jesus. They're hailing Him as King because they don't believe that He actually is. The reality is Jesus is not only the King of the Jews, but He's the King of kings and Lord of lords with all power to wipe every one of these soldiers off the planet. But He didn't stop them. He suffered the mockery, the spitting, the torture because of His love for us. So before Jesus is led away to be crucified, we see that He's gone through many things that were emotionally painful, many things that were physically painful. He has gone through enormous amount of stress, betrayal, abandonment, denial, mockery, beating, scourgings, a, a crown of thorns jammed into His head. And now after all of these things happen, Luke tells us, and then He was led away to be crucified. And I bring all this up because too often we just jump into the point of He was led away to be crucified and then we, we look at how horrible this latter part is and it is greatly horrible. 
But yet we forget that he went through these other eight things leading up to it, which made his suffering so much worse. So Jesus is led away to be crucified, and he was forced to carry the wooden cross that he would be hung upon. Now the victim usually only carried the the crossbar of the cross, which usually weighed about a hundred pounds. And they often raised his hands and would tie this onto their arms, but before they would do that, which this doesn't show, they would usually strip the person down naked as they walked through the Roman streets, ultimately to humiliate them and cause them to have even more suffering as well. Now, any of us trying to carry a wooden crossbar when we are healthy and we are fit, tied to our arms at 100 pounds, would be difficult for a long walk. But after all that Jesus has already gone through emotionally, all he's gone through physically, that was just too much for his body to handle, and he collapses. And so the Roman soldiers grab a man by the name of Simon from Cyrene to carry the cross for Jesus. So the ninth thing Jesus suffered for us is he was forced to carry his own cross and the weight of it caused him to collapse. Now we've looked at a lot of horrible things, but really probably one of the most horrible of all from the standpoint of physical suffering is the crucifixion. Luke 23, 32 and 33. There are also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Now, I think it's interesting that Luke doesn't go into any details. All he just says is, and they crucified him. Thinking, wow, this is a pretty pivotal thing. This is a pretty significant thing. But you know what? Luke didn't feel it was necessary to explain crucifixion at that time. Why? Because everybody was aware of what someone went through when they were crucified. The Romans made sure of that. That was one of the purposes of crucifixion so that everyone could see it. And so Luke doesn't get into details of what someone went through because he's aware that the readers of that time would have already known. But since we don't crucify people today, I think it's important that we do look at what a person being crucified would go through so we can better understand what Jesus went through for us. You know, the Romans were extremely cruel, and they were really experts in the art of torture. And they designed crucifixion for two main purposes. First, it was a public deterrent of crime. Above the head of every person who was crucified, they would write the crime that they were found guilty of. Murderer, thief, whatever it was. Jesus, King of the Jews. That was ultimately what he was found guilty of, and they put that sign over his head. But the purpose of this was because they put these people right next to where you walk. If you ever go to Israel, you'll see leading uh, out of the city where people would walk all the time. That is where Calvary was, and they would just put crosses right there, people on them. So as you walk by and you see this person suffering a horrific thing, and you look up and it says, thief, you say to yourself, I'm never stealing a thing in my life. I don't want to be that guy. You know, murderer, whatever it may be, it was a deterrent of crime. But the second purpose of crucifixion was to inflict a great deal of pain for an elongated period of time. 
You know, if you just read the account of Jesus, you might think that people died quickly when they were crucified because Jesus actually dies much more quickly than most did because he also suffered so much physical torture prior to his being crucified. But most people, it took three to six days that they would hang on the cross before they would ultimately die. And that's why Pilate is very amazed when they come back and tell him that Jesus was already dead. He's like, how is that possible? He hasn't even been on there for one day. Crucifixion started as they threw the victim onto the cross. Then the executioners would take an iron nail and they drive it through the bones right here between your wrists so that the weight of your body could be held up. When the nail was driven through the wrist, it severed the large median nerve. Imagine the pain that would happen when that nerve was severed with a nail. Once the arms were nailed to the cross, the executioners moved to the feet. They put one foot on top of the other and drove a nail right through the arch of each foot, leaving the knees slightly bent. This nail severed a few nerves in the foot, once again causing excruciating pain and the fact that all your weight is pushing on that as well. After the victim was nailed to the cross, the cross would now be lifted up and dropped in a small hole so it would hold it up securely. And this clip does something to show you how painful that would have been. So imagine now the cross lifted and just dropped in that way and you're nailed to this cross and it's through your nerves and that jerk that you would feel and the pain that you would suffer. So as the victim hung on the cross, the weight of their body would just continue to bring this enormous pressure on those places where they were nailed in their feet and their wrists. When that happened, there's going to be horrible agony. But here's the biggest thing. Your body ultimately is designed to not want to die, to fight for survival. The only way to breathe on the cross is to lift yourself up and breathe a breath, and then you go back down again. And you only have two choices as to how you're going to get up. You're either going to pull with your arms, which obviously is going to be excruciatingly painful with the nails there, or you're going to push with your legs. And then you're going to have the pain in your feet. But no matter how painful it is to take a breath, your body's going to continue to do it because of the survival instinct within you. And so over and over again, you're going to push, you're going to pull, and that pain is just going to happen each and every breath. Now imagine, they designed this for people to live for days having to deal with this. As time goes on, your arms and legs start to fatigue. Any of you who have worked out, you realize your muscles start to cramp. Now you have the knotting in the muscles, the throbbing pain that comes from that. Usually the strength in the arms would completely give out. It wasn't uncommon for the shoulders to pop out of their sockets at that point in time when you had no more strength to hold up your weight with your arms. And the way that most people died of crucifixion was through suffocation. They finally just had no more strength to pull up or push up, and then they would suffocate and die. Now, because it was the Passover, the Jews didn't want Jesus or the two thieves on each side hanging on the cross while Passover was taking place. And so they sent soldiers to break the men's legs. 
Purpose was, hey, if their legs are broken, they can no longer push themselves up and they'll just suffocate and they'll die right then. And they were very surprised when they came to Jesus to realize he was already dead. So they didn't break his legs, but a soldier pierced his side and blood and water came out. So as you can imagine, crucifixion was one of the worst possible ways to die. And that is the tenth thing Jesus suffered for us. He was nailed to a cross and he went through horrible agony until he died. I keep bringing this up because I think it's so important for us not to lose sight of Jesus could have stopped this. Even the religious leaders would say to him, oh, if you're truly the Son of God, then bring yourself down from the cross. The reality is he could have at any moment. He could have stopped all of this at any moment. He was in complete control. John 10, 18 is very important for us to understand. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. You know, too often people look at Jesus as the helpless victim who was forced upon a cross, and Jesus wants us to know very clearly, nobody has the power to take my life from me if I don't want to willingly lay it down. I could wipe out everyone in this world if I wanted to. No one could force this upon me. I willingly laid down my life. And we need to remember that as we remember what Jesus did, because it's so much more powerful. It would be amazing if he still was you know, put on the cross, even though he didn't want to and was forced and went through all of that for us. But he willingly did it when he could have stopped it. It wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for you and me. So we've looked at 10 things so far, many of them emotional suffering, many of them physical sufferings, but now I want to finish with one final one that perhaps was the worst one of all, a spiritual pain that Jesus had to suffer through. Matthew 27, 46 says this, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, of all the things that Jesus suffered from what we looked at from the Garden of Gethsemane to now, I think perhaps this would have been the worst one of all. Because up till now, the Father was with Him through it all. All the suffering, all the difficulty, there wasn't any separation, there wasn't any distance. They were there together going through this. But now, something's changed because God the Father poured out the sin of the world, your sin and my sin, upon Jesus Christ. And because of that, something horrible happened. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You see, Jesus was sinless, and the Father was with Him. But the sinless one was made sin for us by taking our sin upon himself. God the Father poured the sin of the world upon Jesus. And because he did that, and because God cannot be in the presence of sin any longer, he had to forsake his son because of our sin. And for the first time in Jesus' eternal existence, he experiences this horrible separation from the Father, and He cries out, My God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me. Being separated and forsaken by the Father wasn't the worst part of this experience, probably for either. Because then, not only was Jesus the sin of the world poured out upon him, but the wrath of God because of the sin of the world was poured out upon Jesus. The judgment that you and I deserve because of the sin that we have committed was poured out upon Jesus. So the 11th thing that Jesus suffered for us is He was forsaken and suffered the Father's wrath because He took our sin and its judgment upon Himself. So as horrible as the emotional suffering, as horrible as the physical suffering was, I believe this spiritual suffering, the act of being forsaken and judged by the Father because of our sin, was far worse. But Jesus willingly did it all because He loves us. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, In this the love of God was manifest toward us, not that He sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So we're going to finish tonight by taking communion together. A time to reflect, a time to remember. And as we just take this time, I know we do this once a month, and I know so often maybe we just focus on the cross. And and my challenge to each one of us tonight is to really be thinking of all these things that we looked at, of what Jesus suffered for you, what He suffered for me, the extreme agony and stress in the garden, the betrayal of Judas, the abandonment of the disciples, the denial of Peter, the mockery, the spitting, the beating from the guards, the night without sleep, the brutal scourging, the crown of thorns jammed in his head, having to carry his own cross, the agony of the crucifixion, and ultimately being forsaken by the Father and the judgment that was poured upon him because of our sin. And as we remember what Jesus suffered, remember something else. He suffered this willingly because of His great love for you. As we look back, this is the greatest demonstration of love. If you want God to show you in some other way that He loves you more than what He's already done, He can. He's already done the greatest demonstration of love there is on the cross. I want us to do something else before communion is taken. It's going to be passed out and I'm going to have a a little video clip that's here, and it's an excerpt from a sermon with some clips from the Passion of the Christ. I was moved by watching it, and I just thought it'd be a great thing as we just come to communion just to kind of look at this as we're receiving these elements. And it's really focusing more so on Jesus taking our place. We've looked at all the suffering that He did for us, but the reality is He did it in our place. We deserve it to go through these things, but Jesus did it for us. And so as we watch this, I just encourage you just to hold on to the elements together. After the video's done, I'll come back up. We'll partake of communion together. And so just hold on to that uh, as we watch this video. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative, his name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel, and 
why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper? What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. People say, give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles. And he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience of Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent, for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. gospel are you bound are you held under the power of this temptation this sin you feel like it's controlling you what are you gonna do I'm gonna shake myself free stop it no you won't you're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin will not overcome it and you will never overcome it 
you'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they start to take my chains off and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me and say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No. God, I say, I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. But God, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God and it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high? so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive. Let me have your sin, son. Okay. When I give him my sin, I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. Where did we get off thinking that we were gonna set ourselves free? It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If His blood is sufficient for your salvation, His blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough.